I wasn't sure if the White House knew about the FBI raid on Trump's residence at Mar-a-Lago beforehand. I wasn't sure. I'm not sure Biden knows his name half the time. But I was not even sure that the staffers at the White House who really run the show over there knew about the raid. Until yesterday, when White House Press Secretary Corrine Jean-Pierre said the White House didn't know about the raid, which convinced me with 100% certainty that the White House definitely knew about the raid. Can you tell us anything more? Was he watching the news? Was he scrolling Twitter? Did someone in his staff flag it for him? I can tell you this. He was not uh, aware of, 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 uh, of, of the, uh, was it the Mar-a-Lago raid? I don't know what you guys are calling it, uh, uh, before it happened. Uh, humana, humana, humana. I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know what you guys are calling it. Uh, um, a raid? Uh, yeah, sorry. Never heard that term before. Mara, what now? Donald who? The FB, huh? Sorry, not ringing any bells. Move along. Move along. Next question. This woman is such a bad liar. If she had just said, yeah, we didn't know about that. Yeah, that was all the FBI on its own. Maybe I would have believed her. But to pretend not to have read about the biggest news story in the country, which pertains to Joe Biden's predecessor and chief rival in the next presidential election, to pretend not to know what a raid is, Corinne Jean-Pierre was giving off precisely the same vibes that Hillary Clinton did in 2016 when she tried to play dumb on wiping her email server of classified material. Under the law, that decision is made by the official. I was the official. I made those decisions. You were the official in charge. Did you wipe the server? What, like with a cloth or something? Well, no. I, I don't know how it works digitally at all. I do not have any. Wipe the server? Ha, ha, ha. Like with a cloth? What's a server? What's wiping? What's a cloth? I don't, ha, ha, I don't know. And she was obviously guilty as sin. The strategy didn't work because... While Hillary Clinton is many things, she's not dumb. And Joe Biden is another story, but even Biden and his lackeys are not nearly as dumb as they play. What we are seeing right now is a systemic strategy of persecuting the ruling party's political opponents. We can say with certainty that this is not going to stop with Trump and with the raid on Mar-a-Lago. We can say that because we already, we already saw it play out because less than 24 hours after the Mar-a-Lago raid, the FBI confiscated the cell phone of a sitting Republican congressman. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment yesterday is from Schmuddle, who says, I work in archival work under a former director of the National Archives, I'm no expert, but I know of nothing that would prevent the president from taking paper copies of archives to his summer retreat. Even then, it wouldn't take two years for a raid to happen to get the documents back. The only paper copies we would care about in the archives are one-of-a-kind documents with no copies. Unless Trump has the Declaration of Independence at Mar-a-Lago, there's nothing he has that the National Archives doesn't already have in multiple forms. That's a really great point. Also worth pointing out that the documents that Trump has, what, what, whether he has them or not, that he allegedly even has, would be outdated documents. They would be several years old at this point. 
Compare that to Hillary, who had real-time classified information on a server that was easily hackable by foreign governments. It's not even comparable. But of course, there's no raid on Hillary's house, and there is a raid on Trump at Mar-a-Lago. Why? Because this isn't about national security. This isn't about some stupid Federal Records Act. This is about stopping Trump from running for president again in 2024. This is about Joe Biden and the ruling liberal establishment killing its main political opponent's campaign in the cradle. If you ask me, this sort of thing undertaken by the president of the United States, at the very least constitutes a very serious HR violation, okay? And when you want to take care of HR violations, you got to check out Bambi. Right now, go to Bambi.com slash Michael. When running a business, you will get hit with all kinds of crazy scenarios. An employee not showing up to work on time, mandatory sexual harassment or workplace safety training, wrongful termination suits, minimum wage requirements, labor regulations. One complaint can destroy your entire company. Problem is, HR managers are expensive. They can easily cost over $80,000 per year. But with Bambi, you get access to your own dedicated HR manager starting at just $99 a month. All of Bambi's HR managers are based in the United States and can support the nuances across all 50 states. Your manager is available by phone, email, and real-time chat to help you effortlessly run employee onboardings and terminations, encourage good performance, and make sure your business stays compliant with ever-changing HR rules. With Bambi's HR Autopilot, you can automate the most important HR practices, such as setting policies, training, and feedback. In fact, Bambi clients are four times less likely to have a complaint filed against them. Go to Bambi.com slash Michael right now for your free HR audit. You run your business, let Bambi run your HR. B-A-M-B-E-E dot com slash Michael. Bambi.com slash Michael. With the fireworks around the Mar-a-Lago raid, people have missed the story that took place right afterward, which in some ways is... is almost more significant. One day after the Mar-a-Lago raid, the FBI confiscated the personal cell phone of Representative Scott Perry. He's a Republican congressman from Pennsylvania. That was while he was traveling on Tuesday with his family. According to Representative Perry, this morning while traveling with my family, three FBI agents visited me and seized my cell phone. They made no attempt to contact my lawyer who would have made arrangements for them to have my phone if that was their wish. I'm outraged, though not surprised, that the FBI, under the direction of Merrick Garland's DOJ, would seize the phone of a sitting member of Congress. This is approaching the level of a constitutional crisis. I'm not sure that we're quite there yet, but if we're not, we're pretty close. The bureaucracy, which is now under the direction of Christopher Wray, who's a DOJ guy. The DOJ is one of the executive agencies under Biden's control, is now going after Republican members of Congress. On what basis? We don't really know for sure, but all of the reporting we've seen is that this has to do with Donald Trump's attempts to cast doubt on the 2020 presidential election. You know, the most secure election ever in human history where they totally didn't change all the rules beforehand and where they totally counted the votes on time and where they definitely didn't violate the state constitutions and where they didn't obviously rig the damn thing. You know that if you have any questions about that, if you cast any doubt on the uh, election integrity that we saw in 2020, why you're an insurrectionist and the, the feds have the right to go in and what, seize the cell phones of sitting members of Congress? go in and raid the homes of the, the, the home of the former president and the presumptive Republican nominee in 2024. I, I walk into work today 
One of my colleagues greets me, says, hey, how you doing, Michael? I say, oh, it's another fine day in the banana republic. We're descending even further into a banana republic. What is going on here? I think a lot of people, especially the squishes, are going to say, oh, well, yeah, this is a little weird. It's a little weird for Biden's FBI, highly politicized FBI, highly partisan FBI to go after the opposition party, members of Congress, and steal their data and steal their cell phones. It's a little weird to be raiding the homes of the former president and the future, the presumptive nominee. It's a little weird, but okay, it's all right. We'll get back to normal. It's totally fine. No, what we are seeing play out in real time is a major power grab and a shift in the way that our political structure works. And that happens. I'm, I'm, I don't think I'm being conspiratorial here. Of course that happens. Consider the way our government looks today with the giant bureaucracy and the, the huge power that the federal government has over the lives of ordinary citizens and the pretty much non-existent power that the states have vis-a-vis the federal government. Consider that and compare that to the, the government we had in the 1790s or the very early days of the 19th century or the late days of the 19th century, or the early 20th century, it, it all looks very, very different. The way that the political order looks changes over time, and it changes with power grabs, and it changes with audacious campaigns, and it changes with shenanigans, and it changes with illegality, and it changes with rigging elections, and it changes with this branch of government just seizing power from some other branch of government, and this party just suppressing some other political party. And that that stuff really does happen. Last night, I was sitting out with a cigar and a drink, and I was reading uh, the Constitution of Athens. I was going back through some of my ancient Greek reading just to try to get out of the the tumult and the chaos of the modern news cycle and try to get a little bit of a broader perspective. And when you just read how the government of Athens changed over time, it's a a comedy of errors. It's a parade of villains. It's all sorts of things where people come in and they say, yeah, that's the way your government operated before. This is the way it operates now. And you might say that's unjust and you might not like it. Well, I don't give a damn because I took the power. And that didn't just happen in ancient Greece. That happens in every single state throughout human history, and it's happening here in the United States. What we have seen play out over the last two days is the FBI at the direction of the DOJ, which has been become highly partisan, and it's clearly at the direction of the ruling party in the White House. They are saying, hey, we're going to do some unprecedented stuff, and we're going to do it, and you're going to think it's unjust, and you're going to think it's breaking the norms, and you're going to think that it's a, a ruthless power grab. Tough. What are you going to do about it? And the answer from the squishes and the answer from people who are just not rising to the, the call of this present moment is, oh, let's just let it play out. Nothing to see here. Move along, move along. Senator Tim Scott, who I like personally, he's a nice guy personally, he just went on CBS and he was asked about the raid on Mar-a-Lago. And he, I think he gave the single worst answer possible. There's been lots of questions before this raid about whether or not the FBI is doing their job apolitical. And we don't know the answer to that question yet. This is probably about the FBI. This is going to raise more questions, in my opinion. We need to let this play out and see exactly what happens. But we should all have been stunned and surprised and shocked at what happened yesterday. The real question is, hey, 
what is the Federal, federal uh, Records Act? And, and B, what are we talking about? It, it, ha it has to be something of incredible magnitude yeah. for at least my side of the aisle to say that was, that was warranted. With, without that, I think we're going to find ourselves in a very big mess yeah. as it relates to the credibility of the FBI. Well, so you don't have any Senator. concern that they're going to find anything at the Mar-a-Lago Well, State? I think we should really, as, as opposed to rushing the judgment, the most important thing that we can do is let it play out because I, I have right. no idea what they were looking yeah. for. And I don't think anybody knows I, what they were on looking that point, for. I think let it play out? Let it play out? No. We do not, in fact, need to let it play out. We do not need to worry about rushing to judgment. We're not rushing to judgment. We've seen this play out for six years now, starting with the Russian collusion hoax. We've seen the FBI and the DOJ being wielded by the Democrats, specifically against this guy, against Donald Trump, to spy on his campaign, to try to stop him from becoming president, to try to oust him when he was president, now to try to stop him from running for president again. I've seen enough. We're not rushing to judgment. This is six years in the making. And it's, it's so frustrating to hear Tim Scott say this because the first part of his answer is very good. He says, we're shocked. This is ridiculous. This is terrible. This is awful. But let's not do anything about it. Let's not do anything. Let's not even, let's not even rush to conclusions. Let's just, let's just let the DOJ and the FBI and the Biden White House destroy Donald Trump's presidential campaign and, and wield arbitrary, capricious, outrageous power over their political opponents and weaponize the federal law enforcement agencies to, to just go after and destroy Republicans. And then, you know, once we see how it plays out, then maybe we can think about doing something. Then maybe we can think about fighting back. Are you kidding me? Are you, what a, what a worthless answer. It's, it's even worse than saying it's not a big deal. Because you're saying it is a big deal, but we shouldn't do anything about it. Come on. Come on, man. Come on. I sound like Joe Biden. Come on, man. It's got, oh, it's got me. I'm so, I'm, I'm stress eating. That's how frustrated I am by what's going on. And you know, when I stress eat, I only eat the very best. I eat Good Ranchers. Good Ranchers is my absolute favorite meat delivery service. And they are on a mission to donate 100,000 meals to children in need. To help them out, I am offering 10 lucky listeners the chance to win 30 minutes with me, little old me, via Zoom on September 30th, where you can ask me anything. I hope that the topics are all just steak and burger related, but you can ask me anything about anything else you want to. All you got to do is go to goodranchers.com slash Knowles, buy a box of meat using my code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S. You'll get $30 off your order plus free shipping be automatically entered to win an invitation to this exclusive meet and greet. Get it? Meet and greet. Do you get it? Hurry, hurry up right now. The offer is only valid through August 31st. Goodranchers.com slash Knowles. Meet and greet. Tim Scott may have an ulterior motive for not rushing to the defense of Donald Trump, which is that he's being floated as a potential presidential nominee in 2024. Uh, the, the reason that this is coming out right now is not just because of the usual idle chatter about will he, won't he, is this person going to run, is that person going to run. It's because Tim Scott's got a book coming out and the publisher of the book accidentally published this little blurb. Here's the blurb from Tim Scott's publisher. Senator Scott is a rising star who sees and understands the importance of bipartisanship to move America forward. This book is a political memoir that includes his core messages as he prepares to make a presidential bid in 2022. So it's a little bit weird, the copy here. Obviously, it wouldn't, it would be 2024, unless, he, unless it means he's preparing the bid in 2022, but he's going to run in 2024. 
but that's coming from the publisher. That's not, that's not just coming from page six, okay? That's not just coming from the National Enquirer. And if you look at Tim Scott's career, it does seem that he is positioning himself such that he could run for president in the future. And I like him. I like the guy. I've, I've mentioned, I've interviewed Tim Scott. I like him personally. Maybe he could be a good presidential candidate. He ain't going to be a good presidential candidate with this weak sauce, that's for sure. We just need to, we just need to let Biden's DOJ run roughshod over all of the Republicans and destroy all of our most popular leaders. And then maybe we can form some conclusions. No, I don't think, I've formed my conclusion. I don't know about you. I formed my conclusion, frankly, back in 2016, when it was so clear that the, the Obama DOJ was spying on Donald Trump. And then it later came out that the FBI and the DOJ were spying on Trump in collusion with the Democrats. It was a total operation and there was no base, basis to the claims about Russian collusion. So I, I formed my conclusion a long time ago. And then you saw the ridiculous first impeachment. Then you saw the ridiculous second impeachment. And then now this, now this, I formed my conclusion. Republicans who haven't formed their conclusion yet, you're not going to make it. You're just not going to make it. Uh, Will Chamberlain, who's a, a prominent right-wing voice, Will tweeted out yesterday something I think a lot of us are thinking. He said, quote, Democrats are behaving as though Republicans won't take power ever again. And a lot of people are looking at that. They're saying, oh my gosh, these guys are just, they, they're, they're behaving as though they are now the permanently ensconced tyrants of the United States. Now, I think the implication of this tweet is this is very foolish for Democrats to do because Republicans are going to take power again. And once Republicans take power, those Democrats are going to get punished. But I don't think that's the right conclusion. I think the tweet is right. I think the sentence, it's true. Democrats are behaving as though Republicans won't take power ever again. But I think they're behaving that way with good reason because I'm not convinced Republicans are going to take any serious degree of power anytime soon. That's not to say that Republicans won't win back the House. I should hope in this election year, Republicans will win back the House. Not to say Republicans won't win back the Senate. It's a tougher election map right, right now for Republicans. So Republicans may or may not win back the Senate. It's sort of 55-45, 60-40, but maybe they will. Republicans, I guess, kind of have the Supreme Court. We just overruled Roe v. Wade. That's good. You got to count that as a win. But so what? Let's say Republicans even win the White House in 2024. If the FBI and DOJ keep acting this way, I'm not, not sure how <laughs> likely that is. If the, the libs keep changing all the election rules to give the, the Democrats an advantage and to dis, uh, disenfranchise Republicans, then I'm not sure how likely that is. But let's say that even happens. Okay, so then the Republicans have the House, maybe the Senate, maybe even the presidency and the Supreme Court. You think that's the government? You think that's power in America? That's not, that's not even close to, to a majority of power in America. What are the other institutions that wield power? How about the corporations? How about big tech? Big tech, oh my gosh, big tech controls the public square. In a republic, the people who control speech essentially control the political order. How about the education system? How about finance? How about the banks? How about all the rest of it? How about... How about the entire blob? How about the media? How about the entertainment media? How about the news media? How about the newspapers? How about everything? All of those other centers of power are controlled by the libs and they wield a lot of power and they wield even more dangerous power than the 
elected government because those other forms of power are mostly unaccountable. And because they wield a lot of economic power, he who pays the piper calls the tune. You're seeing proof of this right now from Nancy Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi uh, just went on TV. She went on NBC News. This was after her trip to Taiwan, which many people thought created an international incident because China claims Taiwan as its own. The United States traditionally has not acknowledged Taiwan as belonging really to China. Pelosi flies to Taiwan as China is threatening essentially to launch World War III if Pelosi goes to China, playing war games out all around Taiwan while she's there. And then she goes on TV, asked about the trip, and she says, what are you talking about? I don't think Taiwan's a real country. We still support the one China policy. We go there to acknowledge the status quo is what our policy is. There was nothing disruptive about that. It was only about saying China is one of the freest societies in the world. Don't take it from me. That's from Freedom House. Let's talk a little democracy, courageous people. And and it's just, I don't know why it is, uh, except there's some commercial interest who would like to diminish uh, the relationship. China is one of the freest societies in the world? What? China is a flourishing democracy? What? I guess you could sort of say that about Taiwan. But but Pelosi is saying Taiwan is part of China. I don't... I hope she was just getting confused here, but I'm not sure that she was because the Democrats have been carrying water for China for a very long time. Pelosi says, we support the one China policy. And this is very confusing because the one China policy means different things to different people. The one China policy is a policy created by China, which says we own Taiwan. Now in 1972, I believe it was, the United States also used this phrase. We say, we acknowledge the one China policy but we didn't acknowledge that Taiwan belongs to China. We continue to support Taiwan in an ambiguous way. Do we support Taiwan independence? Well, not exactly explicitly. Do we support China's claims that it owns Taiwan? No, we certainly don't do that. So it's very unclear. China says, we have the one one China policy. America says, yeah, yeah, no, we totally acknowledge the one China policy. But then we, we use that phrase to mean different things. It gets even more confusing because pretty much every presidential administration has held a different view on the one China policy. And sometimes there have been different views even during the same administration. Donald Trump held the view basically that Taiwan is a totally separate entity at the first part of his administration. Then by the second part, he kind of loosened up a little bit on it and acceded more to China's claims over Taiwan. Now Biden is much more pro-China. It's a complete mess. So why? Why the shifts? And why is Pelosi not just implicitly acknowledging China's claims on Taiwan, but why is Pelosi going so much further to say China, this communist slave state, that China is one of the freest countries in the world? Because he who pays the piper calls the tune. Because the Democrats in particular are owned by China. And because the United States is in large part owned by China. China owns a trillion dollars of our debt. China manufactures all our stuff. China holds a lot of natural resources that we need, increasingly that we're going to need, especially as we kill the American energy industry. It's as, as, as we commit American energy suicide because of the Democrats' environmentalist fantasies. Then, then we can't afford to oppose China. He who pays the piper calls the tune. Speaking of money behind politicians, 
You know, one of the, the biggest funders on the left is George Soros. George Soros is this crazy, radical, lib financier, and he's funded all sorts of terrible left-wing candidates. And right now, in particular, he's funding prosecutors all across America who don't prosecute crime. So they're prosecutors who are installed at dear cost to George Soros, who will let the criminals off the hook. And this is leading to spikes in crime all over the place. One of those prosecutors in particular is Steve Descano. He's in Fairfax County in Virginia. And uh, Steve Descano is very, very upset because uh, a, a, an official in the Yunkin administration called him out for being on the payroll of George Soros. Aggie Cleary says, well, criticize Soros-funded prosecutors. What's your reaction to that? Well, I think that that is an unfortunate way to frame this. Because when we are trying to have a discussion about a substantive matter, especially about crime, like you and I are having right now, Nick, for one party to go and immediately get off topic and bring up George Soros is unfortunately a tried and true anti-Semitic trope that has been used in this country decade over decade after decade. When we're trying to talk about crime and one party of that conversation immediately goes to a conspiracy about a shadowy cabal of foreigners who are pulling strings um, to destroy American culture, that is not a good faith argument. It's anti-Semitic. It's anti-Semitic. It's a conspiracy theory. George Soros isn't funding anybody. He's not funding these radical prosecutors like me, except, wait a second, I've got here, <laughs> I've got here a, a, a column from the Wall Street Journal from about a week ago. It says, why I support reform prosecutors by... George Soros. <laughs> there he is. No, no. That's an anti-Semitic hate fact. Pay no attention to the man writing in the newspaper whose name is actually George Soros. And it gets a lot worse for this guy, Descano. First though, for years, we've been told that above all else, we must trust the science. Believe in the science, which is me, you dirty, rotten sheep. Yet, when it comes to presenting any evidence to support the safety of children taking experimental puberty blockers to treat gender dysphoria, activists shrug. What do they say? They say, science, we don't need no stinking science. Just shoot those kids full of those drugs. The only thing more appalling than the left's hypocrisy is their willingness to sacrifice children at the altar of transgenderism. No film does a better job of exposing the danger, hypocrisy, and lunacy of the trans cult than Matt Walsh's What is a Woman? It's already one of the most talked about movies of the year. Its impact is continuing to be uh, understood and spread. Help us keep the momentum going by watching and sharing What is a Woman at whatisawoman.com. That is whatisawoman.com. Head on over there today. George Soros himself in a major newspaper comes out and says, I am funding radical left-wing prosecutors who are not enforcing the law, who are not prosecuting the criminals. And one of those prosecutors, Steve Descano, gets called out by a Yunkin official named Maggie Cleary, who coincidentally actually is a friend of mine going back to college. I'm watching this clip and it's this usual rigmarole. Oh yeah, it's anti-Semitic. It's fake. It's fake news. It's a conspiracy. Move along. And he mentions Maggie Cleary. I said, I know Maggie Cleary. She's great. She's terrific. Totally mainstream Republican. Great hire for Glenn Youngkin. And what did she say? She just said a fact. She said, George Soros is bankrolling these guys. And these guys are, are destroying law and order in our communities all around the country. 
and they're leading to big spikes in crime. Especially this guy, Steve Descano. He's one of the worst. He's one of the worst of these liberal prosecutors. And by the way, he's not just funded sort of indirectly by George Soros and because Soros is funding this movement and other people are funding him. This guy took at least $50,000 directly from George Soros. Through the Virginia Justice and Public Safety Pack, Steve Descano took at least 50 grand. It was probably more than that. The justice and public safety packs are the mechanism through which George Soros funds these prosecutors. Soros, in the last 10 years, do you know how much he's spent on just the prosecutors? Just these DAs, just these, these little prosecutors. This is just one tiny little aspect of the whole political project that Soros is engaged in. Just here in the United States, he spends money around the world too. $40 million, 40 million bucks on this kind of a thing. And what has happened? What has happened? Well, you've got another report here, another news outlet, National Desk, uh, of this news outlet says, two dozen progressive prosecutors linked to Soros money. You saw uh, Chesa Boudin, who just got recalled up in San Francisco, led to all sorts of chaos up there. The LA prosecutor, George Gascon, and a bunch of others as well. What, what is this that we are seeing? It's, it's called the Celebration Parallax. That's the name that Mike Anton, who's the author of the Flight 93 essay, he's at the Claremont Institute. This is, this is the name that he gives to this phenomenon, which is, the libs tell us that they are doing something, and they're really happy about that, and they're celebrating that. And then the conservatives just repeat back to the libs exactly what they have been shouting and singing with glee. And then the libs smear the conservatives as racists and spreading fake news and conspiracy theorists for saying the exact same things the libs just said. The libs get to say it and it's true and wonderful and worthy of celebration. The conservatives say exactly the same thing. It's a horrible conspiracy theory. They need to be deplatformed. It's anti-Semitic. As an anti-Semitic to read a a fact about this one guy that he admits in the newspaper. It's not. As Ann Coulter told me when I was in college, when a liberal calls you a racist, you know you've won the argument. I think the liberals know that we've won the argument. They're not even having an argument. They're just saying, you're not allowed to say the same things that we say. Uh, the, the, the phrase celebration parallax is kind of a, it's a very fancy way of saying it because a parallax is the, the position of the same object seen from different angles. So you're seeing it from the liberal angle, you're seeing it from the conservative angle. But that, that, that is the way to understand this. And especially when you look at the raid on Mar-a-Lago, there's no raid on Hillary Clinton. You see they're going, they're going after Republican congressmen for in any way associating with Donald Trump. And yet there's video evidence of Hunter Biden, Hunter Biden committing all sorts of national security endangering crimes. They don't do anything about that. It's a two-tiered system. It's, a, it's, a, it's related to the celebration parallax. The libs do the same thing that the conservatives, say the same thing. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm tongue-tied. I'm so frustrated by this. There's two sides to this. The libs do the same thing the conservatives do. It's good when the libs do it. It's bad when the conservatives do it. The libs say the same things the conservatives say. It's true when the libs say it. It's a crazy conspiracy when the conservatives say it. You're seeing this play out in New York right now. Eric Adams is the mayor of New York City. Eric Adams is very upset because the governor of Texas, Greg Abbott, is busing illegal aliens who are being encouraged to cross the border by the Democrats, by Joe Biden, by the libs in New York and D.C. and elsewhere. He's busing them to New York and D.C. and all the other liberal cities. Eric Adams is furious about that. He says it's putting a severe strain on New York's resources. It's horrific what's going on. 
And Eric Adams says, maybe he's going to bust some New Yorkers down to Texas to give Governor Abbott a piece of their mind. I already called all of my friends in uh, Texas and told them how to cast their vote. And uh, I am deeply contemplating taking a busload of New Yorkers uh, to go to Texas and do some good old fashioned door knocking uh, because we we have to, for the good of America, we have to get him out of office. Why you got to get him out of office? Why? What is Abbott doing that is he's sending illegal aliens to sanctuary cities? How's that for the good of America? It's a sanctuary city. The sanctuary city, the whole premise is you want the illegal aliens to come, but you don't. You just want to say that, it, you, you, that you want the illegal aliens to come. You don't actually want them there because you say that illegal aliens are really, really good for America and they're net contributors and they don't bring any crime and they don't bring any social problems. And yet the minute they show up at your doorstep, all of a sudden this is horrific, so horrific, you're going to load up a bus full of New Yorkers to go down there and beat up the Texans and get them to kick Greg Abbott out of office. Tells you everything that you need to know. Speaking of New Yorkers whining, you know that I am really, really obsessed with the Kanye West, Kim Kardashian, Skeet Davidson saga. I am. I don't care. I don't really follow pop culture at all. This story I'm really, really taken with because I think it actually cuts down to some of the core political issues in America. And also because Kanye West is very, very funny. And also because Skeet Davidson is just not very likable. There's a headline, comes out of People Magazine. Skeet Davidson is in trauma therapy because of the taunts from Kanye West. The attention and negativity coming from Kanye and his antics is a trigger for Davidson. And he's had to seek out help. Davidson has been in therapy trauma therapy since April, in large part due to his beef with Kanye West. I'm not surprised that Pete Davidson is in therapy. Uh, Pete Davidson probably should be in therapy. He's had kind of a difficult life. His, his dad famously died in 9-11, sort of heroically. I think he was a New York firefighter. He goes in on 9-11 as a hero of that day. And so this is when Skeet Davidson's a kid. Obviously, that's a trauma. And he's engaged in all sorts of destructive behaviors. And now, what, because Kanye West makes fun of him on Instagram, that's it. That's what sends him over to the edge. No, I'm sure the guy's got a lot of, of issues. But Kanye West was absolutely right, is absolutely right, to taunt Skeet Davidson. Skeet Davidson played a large role in breaking up Kanye West's marriage. And that's a no-no, folks. That's a no-no. You don't get to do that. Marriage is sacred and the fundamental building block of society and some dirty looking SNL actor does not have the right to come in and take your wife from you. And then he also taunted Kanye West. He would send him pictures apparently while lying in bed with, with Kim Kardashian and say, oh, I'm in bed with your wife. Ha ha ha. No, you don't get to do that. This, this story, the reason I'm obsessed with it is it's a, about a lot more than Kanye West and Skeet Davidson and Kim Kardashian. And yes, I'm aware all of these people have lived extremely colorful, eccentric, in, in many ways, not particularly virtuous lives. But th that's even more to the point because while they are really wild, crazy examples of Hollywood extreme and decadence, in many ways, they're very human. In many ways, they're representative of a lot of Americans who have kind of messy lives and who have had messy love lives and, and, and it, unclear and conflicting understandings of how we ought to behave. And, and they're seeing that play out. And all I know is through these imperfect vessels, you saw Kanye West at least trying to save his marriage. 
at least saying that he wanted to save his marriage. He was the representative of that. And this was after he had some kind of conversion or reversion to Christianity and was very public about that. This is after he espoused some broadly conservative political views and social views. Then you had Kim Kardashian go into a magazine and say, in my 40s, I'm just going to live for me and I'm just going to do whatever I want. It's about me, 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 which she's the voice of a generation. That's why she's so popular. And then you had Skeet Davidson come in here and go and steal another man's wife. So shameful, so dishonorable. And you think, among these three people, who am I going to pick? I'm going to say Kanye. Now, some people will then come out on this story and they'll say, Kanye has no right, no right whatsoever to try to save his marriage or try to attack the person who's helping to break up his marriage. What are you talking about? The people who say that are the ones who think marriage doesn't mean anything, that marriage can be easily dissolved at any given time, that it's just a, it's just a kind of contract. You can break the contract. It, well, it's a contract, except no, nothing about it is binding. So it's not even a contract. It's just two people kind of get along together for a little. And then whenever you don't like each other as much anymore, you know, he didn't do the dishes last night and she's getting a little older. And so we're just going to split it up and move on. No, no, that might be the lib view of marriage. That is not the conservative view of marriage. And the lib view says we're all individuals and can do whatever the hell we want whenever we want to do it. The conservatives say, no, the fundamental political unit is the marriage. And when you make that vow, you're in it, buddy. You're stuck with it. This was the mainstream view in America for a very, very long time. Now that's considered extreme. People are actually saying, they're saying, Kanye's gone too far. Here it is. Here's a headline from Metro. Kanye's gone too far. Neither his genius or his mental health are excuses. Why? Because he's defending his marriage. Kanye West, Kanye West, some years ago, put on a big giant foam suit and danced around to a song singing, you're such an effing hoe. I love it. Do you remember that? You're such a f***ing hoe. When the first time they ask you, you want sparkling or still? Are you trying to act like you was drinking sparkling water before you came out here? You're such a f***ing I'm a sick f***. I like a quick f***. I'm a sick f***. I like a quick f***. I'm a sick f***. I like a quick f***. I'm a sick f***. I like a quick f***. I'm a sick f***. I like a quick f***. I like my I buy you a sick truck. I buy you some new I get you that nip tuck. How you start a family, the condom slipped up. I'm a sick I'm inappropriate. I like hearing stories. I like that host. I want to hear most. I like the host. Send me some most. You trifling hope. We had to blur out half of that song. I kind of forgot when I sent the clip that we'd have to bleep out actually half of the song. That wasn't too far. You're such an effing hoe. I love it. I like to get my. Well, I can't even say it. I, I'd have to bleep out myself. That's not too far. Remember when Kanye West went on t- national TV and he said that George Bush doesn't like black people? A lot of the people that could help are at war right now, fighting another way, and they, they, they've given them permission to go down and shoot us. And subtle, but in even many ways more profoundly devastating, is the lasting damage to the survivors' will to rebuild and remain in the area. The destruction of the spirit of the people of southern Louisiana and Mississippi may end up being the most tragic loss of all. George Bush doesn't care about black people. Please call... In the past few days. <laughs> you remember that? that? That wasn't too far. That was genius. That was all an example of Kanye's eccentric genius. But then Kanye comes out and he says, hey, I don't want to get divorced. I think marriage is a real thing and we should stay together for the purpose of our, for, for the sake of our children and because we took a vow and we should take this marriage seriously and Skeet Davidson should get the hell out of my bed. That's too far. That's crazy. <gasps> that, hold, you're defending marriage? 
You don't think that this sort of filthy looking New Yorker young guy should be crawling around in your bed around your house where your children sleep? You don't think that? Wow, totally crazy. There was an article in, I think it was The Week or somewhere, I don't know, occasionally I'll get Google alerts, and they were going after me because I said that we should defend marriage. And they said, you know, Republicans, Republicans are coming for no-fault divorce next, to which I say, I hope so. Yeah, you're damn right we should. I don't know that we will because so many Republicans are so squishy and useless, but we certainly should go for no-fault divorce. No-fault divorce is insane, and it's a complete aberration in American history. New York did not have no-fault divorce on the books. New York, one of the most liberal states in the country, did not have no-fault divorce on the books until 2010. No-fault divorce is a very, very modern invention. It really only began to be popularized in the 1960s and 70s. Before that, you had something known as wedlock. You had something known as marriage. You went out, you took a vow before God, most importantly, and before your spouse, and before the political community. And you said, I'm going to stay in this marriage forever, till death do us part. And if you wanted a divorce, divorce has existed throughout all of human history, but it was hard. It was discouraged. All of the political and social and legal incentive was to remain married and work it out and fix your marriage. And then in the 70s, up, really up until just some a few years ago, there was this movement to say, nah, never mind, whatever. We should all just get divorced and, and be single and live for ourselves and do whatever we want. And the minute the going gets tough, we should just cut and run. And you know, it's going to screw over our kids and it's going to traumatize a lot of people and it's going to cause complete disorder in our country because if you if effectively abolish the, the fundamental political institution, you necessarily are causing a massive amount of disorder. But whatever. Love is love. The heart wants what the heart wants. <laughs> whatever. It's too hard. You can't make me do anything. Choice, choice, choice. Individual autonomy above all else. Of course. At a conservative, at the bare minimum, must oppose no-fault divorce. No fault. People blame gay marriage. People blame the hookup culture. People blame all sorts of things for our social uh, disarray that we find ourselves in. And all those things have contributed to it. No fault divorce might be the biggest cause. It's certainly up there. I mean, no fault is a major issue. Republicans are coming for no fault divorce. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, I hope so. Or the Republicans aren't worth their salt. Speaking of going too far, Andrew Cuomo, you remember him? The disgraced former governor of New York, big Democrat. He was being talked about as a potential Democrat presidential candidate. He was thrown out ostensibly for a sex scandal, but it wasn't really for a sex scandal. He was thrown out because he he lied about numbers during COVID. He hid COVID deaths from the federal government. He was the absolutely the worst governor in terms of how to actually handle the health of the population during COVID. And he was brought on CNN constantly by his brother, who was then a CNN host, talking about what a great job he did. So he got, he got run out of town, but he's a big lib. I mean, he has got liberal bona fides. He came out after the Mar-a-Lago raid, he said, DOJ must immediately explain the reason for its raid, and it must be more than a search for inconsequential archives, or it will be viewed as a political tactic and undermine any future credible investigation and legitimacy of January 6th investigations. Yeah, that's true. They've gone too far for Andrew Cuomo. Joe Biden, who we were told, he's the moderate. 
is the reasonable one. Good old Uncle Joe has gone too far in the radical left, power-hungry direction, even for Andrew Cuomo. I love how at the end he says, this will undermine the legitimacy of the January 6th investigations. <laughs> yeah, think that ship has sailed <laughs> when they wouldn't let any actual Republicans on the committee. I'm pretty sure that ship sailed. When they let BLM off the hook for eight months for burning down and raping and killing and pillaging and burning, uh, they let those guys off with a slap on the wrist at most, but then they throw the grandmother, you know, who's standing around the Capitol Rotunda, they throw her in solitary confinement. Yeah, I think that the... the legitimacy of the January 6th proceedings and investigations. That went out the window. But Cuomo knows from an optics perspective, this is really not great. This really does not look good for Democrats. Speaking of New York and going too far, this is a story I had meant to get to last week. I have to get to it uh, now. Drag Queen Story Hour begins in the, in the libraries. And the real conservatives object to this and the squishes go along with the liberals, and they say, no, I'll let it go into the libraries. Don't worry. It's not like it's in the schools or anything. What happens next? What happens next? The drag queen story hour goes into the schools, and the conservatives oppose it. They say, we're slipping down the slippery slope, and then what, what happens? The libs and the squishes, they say, no, it's fine. Viewpoint neutrality. Everyone has the right to do whatever they want, whenever they want to do it. At least it's not in the elementary schools. What happens next? It goes to the elementary schools, and then what's the final claim? They say, look, you might have moral opposition to Drag Queen Story Hour. And that's, look, that's your right. That's your right. And so that's why, you know, you've got your church for that. You don't have any right to impose your own moral views on the public in the public square. For some reason, the libs have the right to impose their moral views in the public square. But, but you conservatives, you don't. But you still have your churches. And guess what happened? You know it. The drag queens have made it to the churches. Her name is Britta Filter, and she is the queen of New York. There she is. This is in a really beautiful church in New York. Forget which one this is. Obviously, a very prominent Episcopalian church. And there you This is disgusting. This is so disgusting. A dude dressed up as a chick walking down the aisle. You're just waiting for lightning to strike any second. And then these, these clapping seals in what was once a church, getting up and clapping for this degenerate show in, inside a church. Now, this initially was erroneously reported as being a Catholic church, which would be a, an international scandal. It, it's not. It's an Episcopalian church, and the Episcopalian church has ceased to have anything even resembling a coherent theology uh, long, long ago. Not sure that it ever had one, but it certainly doesn't have one now. I mean, now they've got priestesses and they do all sorts of crazy things that have very little to do with Christianity, if anything at all. Uh, so I'm, I'm not surprised, but it's jarring to see because the church building, it looks like a church, right? It looks like a church. I bet the men who built that Episcopalian church, even though they were Episcopalians, even though, which sometimes those guys were, you know, a little, little squishy, but I bet they were serious men who seriously wanted to worship God, and that's why they built this big, beautiful church. And now what has happened? The libs have crawled inside of it and just eaten it out from within and taken all the Christianity out of it and all the animating spirit out of it and the essence out of it and filled it up with a bunch of drag queens and guffawing, clapping seals to cheer this on. If you wed yourself to the spirit of the age, you will find yourself a widow in the next. Great quote, 
We're not really sure who first said it. It was either Fulton Sheen or Dean Inge, but good, uh, good churchman. Fulton Sheen, a Catholic, was a bishop. Initially, this was being reported as a Catholic high school here in New York invited me to their pride chapel, but no, it turns out it was an Episcopalian church that, ha- that has a pride chapel. Pride, which goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. And I don't, I don't even mean to, to be on my high horse here, or thank goodness this wasn't a Catholic church. Thank goodness it wasn't a Catholic church, but I bet there are a number of communities that call themselves Catholic that would be fine with this or something close to this and are only being held away from that by the magisterium and the, the weight of the Catholic church for now. But I bet they, they want to go along with that spirit of the age. This will pass away. This will be seen as a scandal in, in the not too distant future. And the people who participated in this will not be looked on kindly in history. Uh, and there will be a new spirit of the age and the people who stick to the true real things the eternal things, uh, they, they will fare a lot better than these people. How did we get to this point? We got to this point because we abandoned all the other defenses, because we, we just left the little individual churches on their own. That's not how society works. That's not how culture works. Culture spreads threat. You have a common culture. That's not how politics works. Politics is in common. It's in the public. It's how we all interact together. It, this, is, this is the fruit of an idiotic kind of individualist sloganeering that we've had in recent decades. Do you do whatever you want. It has no effect on me. Just, that's fine. You want to have drag queen parades in your school or your church or your, that's fine. And we can't impose our views to kick the drag queens out of the pu- public square. This is the fruit of that idiotic, ahistorical, re- re- incoherent kind of thinking. No, of course it does. This is bad. We have the right as a community to say no to this. We have the right to suppress this. We have the right to stop these guffawing seals from bringing (laughs) the drag queens all around the public square. And frankly, we have a responsibility to do that. The way that power works is power tends to flow to the people who are willing to exercise the power. And this is why the, the liberals are all, there's much more to be said about this, but this is why the liberals, when, whenever they create an image of a conservative in popular culture, they try to do so in a kind of libertarian way. They do, think of Ron Swanson as the greatest example in Parks and Rec. He's the conservative character, but he's really kind of like a libertarian. And the reason they do this, and the reason the libs are always pushing this idea that the, the right is uh, libertarian is because it benefits the, right, the left to have an opponent that doesn't want to wield political power. Because they know that if their opponents aren't going to wield political power, then they, the libs, will have the opportunity to do that. It has led us to this place where now you've seen a massive power grab, so massive that Joe Biden is raiding the home of his predecessor and political opponent. Are we going to wield political power again? No, the squishes tell us, wait and see, let it play out. Let's just see how it goes. We don't have the right, we don't want to jump to conclusions. I've reached my conclusions. I should hope you have too. Now that means it's time for us to act. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. See you tomorrow. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Clavin Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies. 
Executive Producer, Jeremy Boring. Supervising Producer, Mathis Glover. Production Manager, Pavel Vidovsky. Editor and Associate Producer, Danny D'Amico. Associate Producer, Justine Turley. Audio Mixer, Mike Coromina. And Hair and Makeup by Cherokee Hart. Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2022.